also want to mention um, is that what's happening in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood is is not unique. It's not unique in the sense of the larger picture of occupation and an attempt to basically change the demographics in, in Jerusalem for the benefit of Jewish settlers. That's Rasha Buderi, whose parents live in the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. We spoke to Rasha last week because Israeli settlers, backed by the state, are trying to force her parents out of their family's home. The imminent displacement of Rasha's family, along with several others in Sheikh Jarrah, set off a chain of events that have led to the violence we're now seeing all over Israel-Palestine. To date, the death toll stands at 10 people in Israel and more than 200 in Gaza. But like Rasha said, what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah is not unique, and it isn't new. Ever since Israel gained control of what's known as East Jerusalem in 1967, the state has been making life difficult for Palestinians and trying to get them out in so many ways. I'm Alana Levinson, and you're listening to Unsettled. Palestinians who moved to Sheikh Jarrah in the 1950s were refugees of the 1948 war. Now, many of them are at risk of becoming refugees once again to make room for Jewish settlers, who the Israeli courts say are the rightful owners. You might hear that what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah is simply a real estate dispute, just a disagreement between multiple people who lay claim to the same house. In reality, Sheikh Jarrah is just one of many neighborhoods in Jerusalem where Palestinians are struggling to hold on to their homes. For this episode of Unsettled, I spoke to Lena Delasha, associate professor at Humboldt State University. Her research focuses on modern Palestinian and Israeli history. We actually spoke back in February, but I might as well have talked to her yesterday. The world is watching Sheikh Jarrah now, but Palestinian existence there has been under threat for a long, long time. Lena explained that the Israeli project to push Palestinians out of Jerusalem started as soon as Israel took control of East Jerusalem in 1967. The part that is now called by Israel uh, Jerusalem or the unified Jerusalem was never Jerusalem, historically. Between 48 and 67, Jerusalem was divided uh, between West Jerusalem under Israeli control and East Jerusalem under Jordanian control uh, because Jordan um, controlled uh, the West Bank, which uh, Jerusalem is a part of. Um, in 67, when Israel occupied the West Bank and Gaza Strip, uh, including Jerusalem, in addition to uh, the Golan Heights and Sinai, they created a new entity that they called Jerusalem, which was um, the old city in Jerusalem and 27 Palestinian villages that they, they then called the, the unified Jerusalem capital of Israel um, forever. Um, the philosophy that, w- that went in drawing this map, which looks like a finger, actually, uh, I don't know if you've seen that picture, but it literally looks like a finger. Um, the reason that it looks like this is the policy was maximum territory minimum population. So the lines were drawn in a way that um, in the Jerusalem municipal boundaries, there were as few people, so basically getting away from the the heavily populated urban centers. So the map goes actually all the way to Kufur Aqab, which is at the like edge of Ramallah. 
that map was basically uh, a big part of what has shaped Israeli policy since then. In um, the end of the day, at that moment, about 72% of the population were Jewish and about 28% of the population was Palestinian in the, in the boundaries of this new entity called Jerusalem. Uh, from that moment on, the Israeli policy has been to maintain the demographic balance, quote-unquote, between um, the, those populations at any cost. And this has been achieved through uh, a, com- a combination of several policies that have been persisted since then, um, which at the core have been exclusionary, extremely exclusionary to the, towards the Palestinians. Those policies include making it almost impossible for Palestinians in Jerusalem to build new housing as their population expands. Of all the Palestinian neighborhoods, what is now called neighborhood, what used to be villages, um, almost none of them had have had a new uh, zoning plan since 1967, uh, which means that uh, Palestinians can almost, in all cases, not get a permit to build new houses. Now, people, you know, get married, they have kids, their kids grow up. In the meantime, four generations, I think we're in the fourth or fifth generation since 67, um, with minimal possibility of building legally, which then Israel says um, they're building illegally. They're building without permit, um, but Israel calls it building illegally, even though it is almost impossible to get a permit because of the reality that Israel um Uh, has created. And then Israel uh, uses the building without permit to go and demolish Palestinian houses in East Jerusalem. Uh, House demolition uh, numbers have been staggering uh, over the years with an increase actually in the 1990s and the 2000s because even though people tend to think about the 1990s as the years of the peace because of the Oslo agreement, in fact, Israeli policies of ex- exclusion and isolation in Jerusalem have increased significantly since the Oslo agreement as a part of an Israeli effort to prevent um, any uh, agreement that includes Jerusalem within it or, or Palestinian sovereignty in Jerusalem. There's almost never house demolition in West Jerusalem, in Jewish West Jerusalem, even though there are more violations in uh, the Jewish parts of the city. One of the city's highest expenses in, in East Jerusalem are actually house demolition. Even though Palestinians in East Jerusalem pay full municipal taxes for Jerusalem, they get almost no services at all. Um, there is shortage in classrooms, there is horrible infrastructure, there is horrible trash collection. Any service you could think about is underserviced, underfunded uh, in East Jerusalem. Uh, but there is plenty of money to demolish houses in East Jerusalem. Another way that Israeli policy excludes Palestinians in East Jerusalem is by stripping them of their residency status. Now here it's important to stop and explain what what um, exactly is this status. Permanent residency is the status that we usually think about for immigrants. Um, for Americans, that's a green card. Um, Even though it's called permanent, it is actually anything but permanent. It's a very fragile legal status. And what it means is that Israel can, at will, and does, um, revoke that status. And when Israel revokes the status, it actually deprives Palestinians the right to live in their city, to enter to the city, to work, to go to schools, 
any of these things. And um, there has been tens of thousands of cases of revocation of permanent residency of East Jerusalemites. The, the legal framework has changed somewhat, but the, the, the outcome has been that they said uh, that you have to have Jerusalem as your center of life, quote unquote. Um, which means that if you go to grad school for seven years, for instance, you could lose it because if you if you have moved the center of your life for seven years, you lose your residency. But even if you hadn't moved an inch, it is an extremely hard process for a Palestinian to prove residency. Um, we're talking about families that live in multi-family homes. So how are you going to have receipts and 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 you know proof for a house that you live in with like you know, 20 other people. They're not, it's not going to be on your name, but you, the, the, the onus in this case is on the Palestinians to prove that they live there, not on Israel to prove that they don't. And in some cases, moving across the street could cost a Palestinian their residency status in Jerusalem. That's true for Palestinians who moved from the neighborhood of Beit Hanina to Aram, because that's where Israel decided to build a separation barrier in the early 2000s, right between those two neighborhoods. When the wall was being erected in that street between Aram and Beit Hanina, thousands of Palestinians had to scramble to find adequate housing in the boundaries of East Jerusalem because they could have they would have lost their residency had they stayed there. What this amounts to is increasing uh, pressure on the population and, and almost like a war of attrition to just get people to give up and leave. Um, and when they don't, then the state, of course, gives them a nudge in, in, in various ways. The house demolition, the revocation of permanent residency, um, the uh, increasing limitations, the wall that has been built in several spots. And then added to that, what Israel has done is a policy of settlements. Um, in order to increase the Jewish uh, presence in the city, but also to prevent Palestinian conti continuity within the city. It is very important to highlight that those are settlements as much as every other settlement in the West Bank. Um, they are uh, defined as illegal according to the international law and in, contra uh, in contradiction with the Geneva Convention. Um, even though in a lot of the statistics you actually would read that the numbers would not include the numbers of Jerusalem settlers. Um, especially a lot of the Israeli statistics, they're Jerusalem neighborhoods. But it's really, really important to highlight that those are settlements. And those settlements have been created on lands that um, were, uh, uh, in, in many cases, on lands that were confiscated from the Palestinians. Those settlements have been empowered to increase and expand uh, over the years, whereas the Palestinian towns and, uh, and, and neighborhoods have not been allowed to. Israeli settlers are constantly encroaching on the Palestinian neighborhoods in East Jerusalem. Sometimes, settlement groups try and buy homes from Palestinian families. But if they won't sell their homes, the settlers might try and fake a sale. It has been proven in Israeli courts, which are not sympathetic to the Palestinians, that the settler organizations have been um, engaging extensively in fabricating sales. So they basically get straw men, Palestinian straw men, to sign and, and, and forge documents and sell houses that they do not own. And despite the fact that it has been proven in Israeli courts, the Israeli courts basically still 
go through the process where the Palestinians have to go, you know, for years in legal struggles in order to prove that they didn't sell their house. I mean, it's insane. Um, And then the settler organizations found a new way to take over Palestinian homes. They use it in Hebron and they use it um, um, in um, uh, Palestinian neighborhoods, uh, Sheikh Jarrah and somewhat in Silwan, of an, a claim that the land was owned by Jewish families uh, or institutions before 48. And that's exactly what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah. Now, it's very important to highlight first that it's not that the settler organizations owned those houses. It was different bodies, different people who owned those houses. And somehow in the Israeli logic, the settler organizations get to claim ownership to these places. But beyond that, what has happened is that the Israeli courts have been approving house evictions in Palestinian neighborhoods, in Silwan and Sheikh Jarrah particularly, based on these claims for ownership from pre-48. Now, if you ask the vast majority of the Palestinians, we will be very okay with going back to pre-48 ownership rights. Except Israel doesn't want that. What was owned by the Jews will be now owned by settlement uh, projects. But what was owned by the Palestinians will continue to be owned by the Israeli state. This is the the bargain that the Palestinians are facing. So one of the houses in Sheikh Jarrah, that woman, her family owned a a house in Baqa, which is now, you know, one of the most prestigious neighborhoods in Jerusalem. She said, simply, you want to go back to 48? Fine, take the damn house, give me my house in Baqa. But that's not how the deal works. In fact, it works just the opposite way. If a Palestinian person fled in 1948 after the war, they're considered absentee. And through Israel's absentee property law, Israel can seize their homes. So to sum up, if Palestinians are living where Jews lived before 1948, Israeli settlers can seize those homes. And the homes where Palestinians lived before 1948, those can be seized by Israeli settlers too. Um, so this woman who lives in Sheikh Jarrah, about, what, five minutes drive to Baqa, was absent from her home. Even though she never left Jerusalem, she was always living there. And now they come to her and say, oh, no, but this house, this land belonged to um, a, a Jewish organization or a Jewish body before 48. So now we're going to return the Jewish property but your house? Oh, no, forget about it. That belongs to the state of Israel through the absentee property law. And there is nothing you can do about it. It is so hard to imagine a situation where justice can be conceptualized in this way. It is so hard to believe the amount of cynicism involved in, a, in an Israeli um, quote-unquote justice system. You know, I, I just like, I, I keep thinking, how could you, in, with a straight face, issue such rulings that you protect the property rights of pre-48? Yes, let's do it. 
I say, most Palestinians say, let's do it. Let's protect property rights from pre-48. Let us all go and just return everything to everyone who owned it uh, before 48, and it will be fair. But you cannot set up a system where the vast majority of Palestinian property continues to be under Israeli control. The residents of Sheikh Jarrah have been under threat of losing their homes for decades. In 2003, Lena witnessed one of the evictions in Sheikh Jarrah. We were a group of uh, um, Israeli and Palestinian activists from Ta'ayush um, staying at the house because we knew it was under uh, in danger. They forced us out. They literally dragged us 300 meters away. And then they basically, you know, uh, sp- uh, rolled the red car- carpet to the settlers to move into the family's house. Um, the violence that is involved with this, the kind of absolute clear subordination to the um, settler organizations because the police came um, with a huge number of settlers. It was midnight. How did the settlers know this is about to happen? Because the police collaborates with them. I have all the admiration in the world having to raise your kids and your grandkids in such contested atmosphere day in and day out with Israeli soldiers who view and and policemen who view you as enemy lurking every time you step outside of your door every time you look out of your window every time your kid walks to their school they're under the surveillance. They're under the hostile um, attacks. They're on, or, or at least looks and gaze. They're under the threat that violence can erupt at any moment, and 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 to persist to use every tool, including solidarity activism um, and um, getting uh, solidarity from international activists and from Israeli activists, including going to courts repeatedly time and time and time. And that's a lot of time and that's a lot of money and that's a lot of energy and that is a lot of heartbreak. And to persist knowing that this is not a just system, not for you, this is a system that is rigged against you at every turn, from the language of the court to the laws that the courts enforce, to the fact that those courts are staffed many times by people who have right-wing positions and who are hostile to the Palestinians, at every turn, the Israeli um, justice system has been unjust to the Palestinians. And yet those families persist because they don't have an alternative. The alternative is to leave. But where do you go? It's not that the Palestinians have options in East Jerusalem. Sheikh Jarrah is under attack. Isawiya is under attack. Every part of East Jerusalem is under attack. Every neighborhood in East Jerusalem is has the same limitations almost on the ability to expand, to build, to, you know, hell, to add a bathroom in, in the old city in Jerusalem is probably it's easier to go to the moon and back probably than actually to be able to do that. So so where, where do you go? Well, what that's exactly what Israel wants. Get out of Jerusalem. So how does the continuous expulsion of Palestinians in East Jerusalem end? For Lena, 
this fight can't be won through the Israeli courts. She's looking elsewhere. To me, I have no longer faith in the Israeli judicial system or in the Israeli political system. I think the Israeli project in the occupied territories and um, uh, specifically, but more generally, Israeli policies uh, in the region more uh, more generally, um, th- that project has been enabled by and large by the U.S., um, to a lesser degree by Europe. The conversation right now needs to be, I think, in part, an American conversation, because we are complicit as citizens of the U.S., as taxpayers in the U.S., as voters and deciders in the U.S. We are complicit in these continuing acts. The U.S. actually grants tax um, relief for people who, vo- who donate to organizations, to settler organizations. It's to that extent. It's uh, so pervasive as a part of American culture. And for me, this, the, the conversation has to be here. And historical precedent has shown that when the U.S. wants, it can give the stop um, order. Definitely it can slow it down. And you know what? The U.S., in, in short, can very much close the tap. On May 9th, Israel's attorney general intervened in the Sheikh Jarrah case, delaying a key hearing that could decide whether or not several families will be expelled from their homes. Unsettled is produced by Emily Bell, Asaf Calderon, Max Friedman, and me, Alana Levinson. Our theme music is by Nat Rosenzweig. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. If you're looking for more context on what's happening in Israel-Palestine, check out our new Spotify playlist. We've taken a few episodes from our back catalog that directly speak to some of what's happening right now. You can find a link to that playlist in the show notes, and go ahead and share it with a friend or family member who you think could use it. If you like this episode of Unsettled, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts.